want to return back to a lesson that I did a couple weeks ago in regard to the church. We emphasize the idea of the aspect that Jesus built his church. That is, Jesus built his body of called ones who have been saved and who have been sanctified through the preaching of his gospel, through the preaching of his truth. And in the lesson, we touched on some of these points. The idea that that church that Jesus built is the spiritual edifice that is growing into a sanctuary for God, God Almighty, with His adopted children. It is also described as a body of Christ. And so therefore, the membership of the spiritual body of Christ is composed of all believers who hear and heed Jesus. Those who answer by faith and obedience to the gospel call and have been cleansed by the washing of water with the word. We also touched on the idea that Jesus is the head. He is the savior of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And that's, that is a description of the church there in Hebrews chapter 12. So we want to kind of build on this lesson today as we kind of look at some other points. And that is, as members of the body of Christ, as members of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, we are called to build. And we're called to build on a certain foundation. The truth and right foundation of Christ. And, and we see we are to be doing that in every generation. And the foundation has been laid, but we're in the process of building on that foundation. So in, in Ephesians chapter 2, we'll open your Bibles, your New Testaments to the second chapter of Paul's letter to the uh, uh, church at Ephesus. I'm going to read verse 19 through 22, the last few verses of that chapter as recorded in this letter. And so it begins there in the 19th verse saying, So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom... The whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the idea of how we need to be building on the church that Jesus has built. But I want to begin by first stressing this, and that is Christians are called to the Lord's work of building. So when you call on the name of the Lord in obedience of faith, and you're buried with Christ in the watery grave of baptism, and you're away, raised to walk in newness of life, that new life involves you building on the foundation. Each child of God here this morning, no matter what our, what our age is, where we fall on the spectrum of age, 
If we are members of the body of Christ, if we are part of this spiritual edifice that belongs to Jesus, we are in the business of building. We are called to be builders. And there's a number of passages that emphasize that idea. The responsibility as members of the body of Christ, we all are to be building. And so here's one example. In the fourth chapter, verse 16, Paul writes, Fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's look at a couple other passages here. You look here in Ephesians 4.29, as he starts to talk about the character and the conduct of members of the body of Christ. And he says, Let no unwholesome, unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as is good for edification. He says, Let only edification come from your lips. Paul says something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 14, verse 12 and 26, when he says, seek to abound for the edification of the church. And let all things be done for edification. Now why did I select those, those passages that emphasize the idea of edification? It's because of what edification means. That's why. The root meaning of the Greek word to edify or to be edified, or edification, literally means to build a house. To build a home. And so here is the Spirit speaking through Paul and his writing to saints, to Christians, then and still now. And we are told we are to be devoting ourselves to edification. That is, we are to be devoting ourselves to building a house, building a home. But we're not talking about the physical structure that we live in, that God has provided a roof over our head and a table to put our feet under. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about how we need to be in the business of building a house. Whose house? Whose home? The spiritual house of the Lord. That's what our focus needs to be. One more passage. In Acts 20, is in the context when Paul meets with the elders of Ephesus at Miletus. You know that passage. And he, he's reminding them what their responsibility you know, was. Yeah, reminding them of their accountability to God as shepherds of that congregation of God's flock in that city. And so he says here in verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build up. He says, I commend you to God's word. You shepherds are watching over the souls of the flock that God has placed under your leadership. And he says, I'm commending you to God's word because word, God's word is able to build up. And to give the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so Christians, all of us who claim to be followers disciples of Jesus, and we've been, we have put on Christ, we've clothed ourselves with Christ through obedience, we are called to the Lord's work of building. 
This morning I want to focus on the idea of that foundation. Spiritual construction must build on the right foundation. So you're not called to build whatever you want to build. That's not what you're called to do. You don't get to just to build whatever you want to build. Well, I like this part of, of it, and I like, but you know, someone else, well, I like this over here better. So it's not like your house that you live in, and you can put whatever paint on that wall you want, and you can you know, do it any shape you want. Well, that's not what this is all about. This is the Lord's house. This is the Lord's sanctuary. This is the Lord's called out assembly. And so our spiritual construction must be built on the right foundation. And that's why I began with that passage in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Particularly it says in verse 20, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The church that Jesus built, not the churches that men built, but the church that Jesus built, that called out assembly, that, that uh, has been called through the, the gospel, the power of God to save, that called out assembly of the Lord is built on the foundation of Christ Himself and His prophets and apostles. There is no other foundation that can be laid and it be the Lord's church. You lay a different foundation than the one that has already been laid. It's done, and not, not, not another foundation is to be laid. And Paul makes that statement in 1 Corinthians 3, where he talks about no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And there's in that context where where is your faith, where is your emphasis, where is your priority, is not to be on the messengers or the preachers or the teachers of the truth. It is to be on Christ and His message. So no other foundation can be laid except the one that Jesus has laid. You lay a different one, you get a different church. And you get a different church, it's not the Lord's. It's that simple. We need to be about the business of building. But building on the right foundation. Changes to this foundation changes what is constructed. And the end product is not what Jesus built. It is not what Jesus purchased. Let me just illustrate one aspect. The idea of changing something about you know, the foundation. Or changing something about the gospel. Very quickly, just glance over in Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Just a couple uh, pages back in your Bibles or through scrolls you know, you know, up you know, in, in your uh, digital uh, uh, device. And so you think of what, he, what Paul is addressing the churches of Galatia. Now Galatia, remember, is not a city. It's a region. And so there's many churches in that region that are of the Lord, that have been established through the proclamation of Christ's truth. But they're dealing with issues in, in those places, you know, and particularly that related to the problem of trying to mandate and enforce such things as circumcision and other traditions and laws 
that are based upon the old covenant of the law of Moses. And, and the point is, you know, if you bring that in and try to add this to the foundation that Jesus has laid, what happens? Well, notice what it says in verse 4 there. This is how serious this can be. In Galatians 5 verse 4, he says, You have been severed from Christ. You were seeking to be justified by law. In the context of Galatians, you're talking about the law of Moses. That was simply the tutor, the preparer to bring us to Christ. But once Christ came, once faith was revealed, we're no longer under that law. That's all, that's all God's plan. That's all part of God's plan. It served the purpose He designed it for. When that purpose was completed, we move on to the substance of Christ. But if I try to go back and relay, reinsert justification by the law of Moses, he said, what happens? He says, you sever yourself from Christ and you fall from grace. There's salvation in other name but Jesus. There's grace nowhere else but in Jesus. And so that's the thing. If, if we try to lay a different foundation, we try to add things that, has, that is different from what has already been laid, then it can cost us our soul, our eternal soul, salvation. The thing is, is the foundation of Christ was laid. It's past tense. The foundation is laid. And it was done in the first century. That's when the foundation was laid. And it was, it was done through Christ's chosen apostles and chosen prophets as they were guided by the Holy Spirit to preach the truth, to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how the foundation was laid. You see, go back to, go, go back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3 this time. And you know what it says there in verse 4. Paul says, by referring to this, talking about what he has written, you know, the, uh, the word, the inspired words of God that he has been directed to compose and write down. He said, referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? You think about that. You can know and you can understand just like Paul. He says, when you read, when you read the inspired scriptures, he says, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed, past tense, now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. How was Christ's foundation laid? It was laid by His chosen apostles and His chosen prophets as they, through the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, preached the truth, taught the truth, wrote the truth. So therefore, any so-called modern prophet, 
any so-called modern apostle who teaches what is different from what has already been revealed, what has already been laid by Christ, apostles and prophets. Paul says back in Galatians 1, let them be accursed. This is serious stuff, my brothers. In Galatians 1, let's go back and read those two verses. To remind ourselves of the soberness of the teaching of Christ. In Galatians 1, verse 8 to 9, you know, Paul admonishes. He's writing to Christians and he's admonishing Christians. He's warning Christians to not be led astray by error. Whether it's you know, seeking justification uh, through the law of Moses or whether it's through some of the different issues that was happening in Corinth. No matter what it was, yet you have these letters by the direction of the Spirit written to teach and admonish and exhort and build Christians. But listen to what he says. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be cursed. Have you taken note of the series of what Paul is saying here? He says, if I start teaching something different than what I've already taught to you, I will be accursed. He says, if we or an angel teach something different from that which we preach to you, he is to be accursed. Then he goes on to kind of say the same thing, but slightly different, to be very all-inclusive. Because in verse 9 says, as we have said before, so I say again, you know, when you want to stress something, what do you do? You usually say it more than once, don't you? And so that's what Paul's doing. He's saying it more than once here. You know, so I say again now, if any man, if it's Paul, if it's, if it's an angel, or if it's David Bunting, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. See, spiritual construction is to be in progress. We are to be builders on, uh, in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we must make sure we're building on the right foundation. And so we look around us, us and there's all kinds of religious divisions. There are denominations. What are they? They are the product of the teachings of men. They are the product of the traditions of men, but the standard is not men. They are not the standard. They are not the ones who draw the line. They are not your judge or your measure. It's Christ. Christ is that. That's why Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4 again, verse 13 this time. Ephesians 4, 13, when he talks about how we are seeking to attain this unity... But what kind of unity? Unity based upon what, uh, what, what men say? You know, we live in a time where we want to basically it's unity in the sense of let's, you know, let's just you know, not say anything negative. Let's don't preach against error. Let's don't preach against sin. No, that's not the standard. No, the unity that we're seeking, as we're told here in verse 13, is according to the knowledge of Christ. Now listen. 
to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Who's the standard? Jesus. You're not, you're not to be building to the measure the, you know, and stature of David or Brian or John or Leland or J- No. We, even as brothers and members of the body of Christ, we are not the standard. We are not the measure that you measure yourself by. It's Christ. Christ is the method. He's the one who set the rules. He's the one who has set the guidelines for who is the church and what the church is to be doing. So we've got to test people's words. You've got to test my words. You've got to test you know, you know, Phil's words. We have to test each other's words by the light of God's inspired scriptures, by the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's the truth. What's written in your Bible is the truth. That's why in Acts 17, that example of those noble Bereans, it's always impressed me in that account. They were doing that to Paul. They were testing Paul. You mean, well, Paul's an apostle. Paul is a Holy Spirit guided man. But they were testing the words of Paul and by the scriptures that they had. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be testing our words and examining to see if we are in the faith, as Paul admonishes in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. So you think about that idea of building. Once again, the church, though, is designed and is built according to Christ. But it was, what's it built for? Well, it's built, we're told in Ephesians 2, to be, to be a temple. But it's not a physical temple. It's not a physical structure. It is a temple, it is a sanctuary, a dwelling for God that is to be growing. And the point is, there is construction still to be added. There is construction still for you to be doing. The work of building is an ongoing work in every generation. And as long as time continues... That next generation has to be about the business of building on what Jesus has built. But we are not in the updating business. We are not in the, let's let us remodel the Lord's church. No, that's not what our business is. Updating and remodeling what the Lord has laid before us. No, we are called to uphold His architectural plans. We are called to follow His set designs. Why is that? Well, because Jesus is the cornerstone. That's why. He's the cornerstone of His foundation. You're familiar with Peter's letter over in 1 Peter chapter 2. And there's twice in the context of that epistle that the apostle Peter, by the direction of the Holy Spirit... 
describes Jesus' role in regard to his people and where his position or place or prominence is. In verse 4, he says, And coming to him, that is, we're coming to Christ, that's who's mentioned in the previous verses, we have tasted the kindness of the Lord, and so, and coming to him, the Lord, as to a living stone. Jesus is the living stone that we are coming to. Which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Verse 6. Contained in Scripture, it says, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Jesus is God-ordained. Jesus is divinely chosen. Why? Because He is the preeminent one. He is the sovereign one. He is of immeasurable, irreplaceable value. He is the most important component of the church. He is the most essential part of the foundation. He is the cornerstone. Without Jesus, without the living cornerstone, the spiritual house and the spiritual family of God could not have ever been built. It took the cornerstone to do the building. Without Jesus, you would have no salvation. Without Jesus, you would have no hope. Without Jesus, you'd have no cleansing. And without Jesus, you'd have no body of the saved and the cleansed and the redeemed. He is the most important part of that. It's because of Him the church still stands. It's because of Him it lasts throughout time and will even last into and throughout eternity. He cannot be replaced. He is the most important part. And so therefore, everything and everyone, including this ongoing building construction that you and I are to be doing ourselves by building on the foundation of Christ, even that everything must align itself, align align ourselves properly with Jesus. Because He's the authority as the Savior and the Head of the called out assembly of God's redeemed souls. Stray from Christ. Stray from His teaching. Stray from the already laid foundation. We lose fellowship. We lose fellowship with God our Father. We lose fellowship with God our God the Son. And we lose fellowship with God the Holy Spirit. If we stray, we must align ourselves and build ourselves on that cornerstone, Jesus Christ. It is that same cornerstone who actually is the one who adds living stones to his house, to that growing church. So Jesus is described there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, verse 6, as this living, precious cornerstone of God's people, of God's Holy priesthood. And 
priestly nation. But notice what it says in verse 5. He says, you have come to a living stone. Well, who's that? Well, that's Jesus, the living cornerstone. That's who you can come to. And because of Him, verse 5, you also, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. It's Jesus who knows who is saved or not. Jesus knows. Jesus knows those who are saved or not. It is in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. You go back there in that great beginning when the gospel is being preached you know, in its fullness after, you know, for the first time after the ascension of Christ. And 3,000 know, souls are converted to Jesus. And that number just keeps on growing. In verse 47, the last verse of the chapter says, And the Lord was adding to their number, some verses says, to the church, day by day, those who were being saved. It wasn't Peter and John and James adding to the Lord's church. They were apostles who were proclaiming the cornerstone. It's the cornerstone who does the adding. Because he knows. He knows those who are saved. Jesus taught that principle back in John chapter 10. We're talking about how he is the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. What does he say about his voice and the sheep? If you recall, back in John 10, 14, it says, They know his voice and he knows them. Jesus knows those who are his sheep. He does the adding. And he, he, he adds day by day those who are being saved. Well, who's being saved? Well, based upon the context of chapter 2, the saved are those who are receiving the word and are being baptized into Jesus Christ. Look there in verse 40. Peter kept on preaching and testifying, exhorting, be saved from this perversion. There is action needed to be taken by these believers. And so verse 40, so then... Those who'd received the word were baptized. They did what the Apostle Christ told them to do. To have their sins remitted and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They received the word and were baptized. And that day they were added about 3,000 souls. That was 3,000 souls on that day. Then in verse 47 it says the Lord is adding. That's continuing. It is not done and over. He keeps on adding day by day those who are being saved. Jesus does the adding. And that increasing number, that growing number of the saved, that is who the church is. The church is the saved in Jesus Christ. And that's how those disciples, those first converted believers are described in the early chapters of Acts. That that growing number, you know, so 3,000, it just kept on increasing. It reached a point where at one point it describes that there are 5,000 men. That wasn't counting the sisters. At one point there's 5,000 men who composed the church in Jerusalem. 
And those people are described as the church. But once again, these chosen ones in Christ are living stones. Living stones in God's spiritual house. What does that imply if you're a living stone? What that implies is you are not a non-active You're breathing, you're walking, you're living, you're doing. If you're a living stone, we are to be vibrantly active participants in the God-called, God-ordained purpose and work that we've been called to do. Just think about this. People once dead in sin. That's what we were before Jesus. And that's what people are without Jesus. They are dead in their sin. But we're made alive, are we not? Made alive through Christ and in Christ. And so we are cleansed and we're redeemed for what reason? To be the Lord's workmanship. To be the Lord's workmanship. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Look at that verse again. And think about the implication of uh, as you being one of these once dead in sin, but now alive in Jesus Christ, you know, raised up with Him, seated with with Him. You've been saved by grace through faith. You receive the gift of God in verse 10. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You notice that we are now the Lord's workmanship for good works, walking in. We're to be walking in the good works that we've been called to do. Titus is told the same thing by Paul in chapter 2, verse 14. That our purpose is to do the work that we've been called to do. And the point is, there is work to be done by all of us. Spiritual construction needs to be in progress. But we need to make sure our building, our construction is on the right foundation. Because ultimately, all members in Christ's church are accountable for their words and their deeds. Actually, everyone is. Every soul is accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all one day will stand before Him. Believer and unbeliever alike will give an account for the life they live. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5.10 emphasizes. That every soul will give an account for what they've done in the body, whether it's good or evil. But we're all going to be judged. We're all accountable. Why? Because we are all from creation image bearers of our Creator. Who have been created to live for His glory. Not for sin. But in conclusion, that judgment though, that judgment will begin with the household of God. Peter writes here, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what? What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? 
And if it's with difficulty that the righteous are saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Everyone is accountable. And on the judgment day, it's going to start with us. We're accountable for what kind of building we're doing with the resources and the opportunities that God gives us every day. The body and church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is all of those who have answered the call of that gospel, that gospel of salvation, called to be saved, called to be sanctified through the message of the gospel. Has Jesus added you to his church? Has he added you to his body? He adds the saved. And the saved are those who receive his word and obey him. Have you done that? Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is God's power to save you. It's not man's power. It's God's power. The message of truth in Christ will save you. But you have to be willing enough, humble enough, and believing enough to submit your will to His. If you're here today, you're not a Christian. You've not called upon the name of the Lord in faith and turned your life over to Him. And you're outside His fellowship. You're outside the body of the saved. Your name is not yet enrolled in heaven. But it can be this very day. That's the beauty and the power of the gospel. If you believe, why not today? Make that decision. Give your life to Jesus. Obey Him. Whatever your spiritual need may be, please come now. We stand and sing the song that's been selected.